When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Thursday, November 11th. This is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 434, featuring Celtics radio voice Sean Grandy is powered by betonline.ag and INSA. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus and go to INSA.com, that is I-N-S-A.com. Mention we sent you, get a t-shirt for a penny. All right, well, I guess everything's fine, right? All's good in Celtics land. They have won three out of four, finally won a game at the Garden. We can all just bask in the glory of the uh, the, the United, the rebuilding and retooled and, and reconfigured Boston Celtics. This is Celtics beat. Adam Kaufman, as you know, Evan Valenti is uh, in the background doing his producer thing. Maybe we'll hear his voice at some point. But Sean Grandy, of course, our featured guest. Long time, I always say that when he's on, the long time radio voice of the Boston Celtics, so you catch him on TV from time to time as well. Sean, how are you, man? As you say, I'm growing into the long time. If you're watching the video portion of this, I'm, you know, <laughs> the wife likes the stubble, you get a little gray is peeking in here, so there you go. eventually you start going down the Mike Gorman path, and it's like, well, time time is unstoppable, right? So if you guys are going to go long time radio voice, and I listen to you in high school, whatever, you know what, just lean into it at some point. But you know what? Because we're seeing all of these, it, it being what year 40, 41 for Mike. And Mike was, was just on the show. It was either last week or the week before. I don't remember, but he was on very recently. And, uh, you know, now, especially on TV, obviously, and the fact that, that he's in, you know, recognized by the Hall of Fame now, the Kirk Gowdy Award, we're seeing all of these videos over the decades of Mike. And, and he is a man who has gone through many, many looks. <laughs> yeah. You know, we haven't really, you've pretty much looked the same. Since, you know, since you arrived in Boston, you, I mean, yeah, like you've gotten a little bit older. That happens. You can't beat Father Time. But your general look has stayed this. Maybe you need to grow a beard or a mustache or a goatee, something just to mix it up. I'll do that during the summer sometimes when I'm not working. Like when I don't have TV or I don't have any kind of job, I'll kind of let that stuff go in the summer. But Mike had the great, the great dilemma. I remember talking about this years ago when like he went gray, obviously very early, you know, pretty, fairly young. I don't know when you're supposed to go gray, but whatever it was, it was younger than he wanted. So for many, many years, he was, you know, uh, enhancing, I guess, for lack of a better <laughs> term. And then he had to make a decision to just suddenly one, you know, one year go from completely dark hair guy to the the sort of natural look. And those are like, these are difficult, uh, difficult guy decisions. But yeah, he has had uh, many looks. We had an interesting, I don't know, we're already sidebarring way off the topic. Yeah, that's what Max, happens. Yeah, that's what happens. It's immediately off the rails. Max, it was at a reunion of the 81 championship team over the weekend. Yeah. And Tiny told him that, and this is where Mike is sort of the answer to a trivia question, Mike and, and Glenn Ordway, Tiny Archibald told him, well, you know, Johnny Most is from New York. And Max had no idea. And we, we realized, and I kind of gave him some grief on social media over it, like, how do you not know the history of the team that forget putting aside Brett Auerbach, who's from New York, mm-hmm. that basically the announcers First of all, on the radio side, out of 75 years of Celtics, you know, broadcasting, however long they started, when they started doing the radio broadcast, only six years, which were the Ordway years, were done by someone not from New York. Um, hmm. It's all, it's an entire history of New York there. And then on the TV side, over the air, you had Kirk Gowdy at the start. Gil Santos did a little, but he wasn't like a regular guy. And over the air, yeah. you basically just had Kirk Gowdy and Tommy Heinsohn. For years, Tommy Heitzen is Jersey City. He's basically a New Yorker. Kirk Gowdy, obviously from Oklahoma. Um, Mike's always done cable. Mike never did over the air. So on you know, like cable TV, and for the six years on radio, you've had a Massachusetts guy. But it's funny the history of you know between the Red Hour back start and Johnny Most and Spencer Ross and Howard David and me and whatever. It's all it's all New Yorkers who've been uh, the voice of the Celtics. You know what it is? Next time that, you know, you, you fill in for Mike and do a TV game, you don't even have to cut your hair or something like that. Just slick it back. Do a slick do back that, one yeah, night. Do that Fix thing. it up. Yeah. It's a, it's, you know, you have to make decisions when you get, 
when you get older about like, hey, like, what are you going to do? Would you rather be, you want to lose your hair? Do you want to go gray? What do you want? But at this point, the wife, the wife likes this. So that's sort of why, you know, as Ime and I discussed last night, if you have a wife who has a, who's a bigger star than you and has a higher profile job than you or whatever, you may, we, we bond over that. Uh, but how we can just sort of like hide in the background <laughs> and, and do our thing. But yeah, they get to call the shots. Have you asked him? I mean, uh, this, this is constantly, I mean, you know how this works. You're on social media. You, I mean, you probably try and tune out some of the nonsense on Twitter, but you see it obviously. And this, this was one of the big things when he got hired, it was, you know, the, the new queen of, of, of Celtics land or whatever we want to call it, Nia Long, who, uh, it, at first it was, you know, you, you know, who Ime Adoka is, is, is married to as no, 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 no longtime partner they've been together for i don't know a decade or something like that i think that they have children together right or at least one but not technically married have you asked him if if he's gonna lock that down yeah we haven't we haven't gotten into that yet on this just we sort of ease into the email era <laughs> uh, which sure. i've actually been pretty happy with for a couple of weeks but you know you remember when he opening night in new york we started started the segment and i started talking about where he was on april 28th or whatever it was 2004 and he may have just finished a season where he spent part of the time in the NBA, part of the time in what is now the G League, some mm-hmm. of the season in Europe, things that were going on in April of 2004. And that was the last time, April of 2004, the last time somebody other than Brad Stevens or Doc Rivers was on the other side of this conversation. That's how long it's been. That's how many thousands of, you know, over a thousand episodes of the pregame thing with just those two guys. So obviously you got to start from scratch. And we've talked before about the early days of the Brad Stevens one, yeah. which were not, you know, that was a little tough sledding at first to try to unlock that, you know, unlock that situation. But no, we, uh, we haven't, I don't know how he's managed to avoid it, but you know, full marks as opposed to those of us who ended up, you know, breaking back into jail <laughs> and getting married again. So uh, when when I mentioned Mike, obviously, when Mike was on, he was talking about sort of the same kind of thing. I mean, it's a little bit different. He doesn't always do that pregame interview, sometimes it's Scal and, you know, but typically I, I think you always do it. I don't think Max ever does it, yeah, right? You always nope. talk to Emain. So it's, uh, you know, he, he was saying it's just sort of getting to know Eme a little bit as a person and that, you know, off the air, you know, he'll smile, is a little more jovial, uh, but you know, roll camera or, you know, hit record on, on the, on the mic or whatever. It's, it's, you know, suddenly it's, it's all business. It's Sorry, very, yeah. it's very buttoned up. It's very like there, there have been uh, friends of mine have, have liked to call email, you know, captain accountability, uh, with, with the way that he's spoken through the media at times about and to his players. It, it what is that like? Is, is there kind of a, a, a gruff exterior as, as you're trying to sort of get to know him and, and, and do these interviews, you know, a la getting to know Brad very early on, even yeah. though obviously we're talking about two totally different types of people. Of course it is. That's the early, and that's, you know, it's very, very super early. I think he was, um, I'm sure he'd tell you this. I think email was prepped a little bit by his predecessor about what I do and the way <laughs> we do it, which is that, um, you know, uh, I'm going to drag guys kicking and screaming into making this entertaining. And you, you know, you guys know, if you listen to the show and you've heard me on here before you listen to Brad, you know, that by the end with Brad, I was the one who had to bring him back in because he just wanted to go, you know, indiscriminately <laughs> crazy some nights and just start talking about wild things. And I was like, all right, there's a game, you know, the role reversal that went on over the eight years was, was pretty stunning. But if I were Ime, I would be doing the same thing. I mean, it'd be hard for me to tone down what my normal personality is. It would be very hard for me to have patience for some of these questions and not go Tom Thibodeau on everything and kind of roll, roll my eyes sometimes. But that's his job right now. When he's asked about Ennis Cantor, you know, trying to, provoke a fight with China, um, you know, what, what's he going to say? Well, it's not really, you know, it's my, that's what I'd say too. You know, it's not his why. And he has obviously said things that his predecessor wouldn't uh, about the players. And we knew, and we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure, but he's going to be that. And he is that way. But my job eventually, and we've already done it already. Anyone that's heard some of the pregame, we've already had a couple um, of moments, but it is my job to, We've got seven or eight minutes before the game. We're going to talk about the previous game. We're going to talk about the game that night. But at the end of the day, not everything is, you know, high screens and UCLA cuts and side out of bounds plays. And there's personality. There's things that go on in this league. Uh, you draw from his experiences. We talked about a player. There are certain players we're going to talk about. In Chicago, we saw the Chicago game. He didn't play very much. But we talked about David Nawaba. That interested me. Why? Because it's a player that I've always – 
liked and kept an eye on. And I think Ime is going to have a specific eye for the players that don't take the traditional route, who are not the third pick in the draft and had to scratch and claw through the G League and whatever. And he has a different perspective on those guys. Remember where he's been, not just with Greg Popovich, not just all those players that came through the Spurs. Uh, it's really fascinating the path he chose the last couple of years, which was to be in Brooklyn, to be around that situation all last year. And obviously to be in Philadelphia the year before, which not only prepped him in a lot of ways and having Al Horford and having Josh Richardson, as I said to him on opening night, you took that job, right? Just specifically to prepare for being able to understand the Boston accent because of Brett Brown. <laughs> I mean, there was yeah. no, cause you can't, you know, how are you going to get around here if you can't understand those words? So I am optimistic that, that we're going to get to know the real guy, but um, you don't, you do a little bit at a time. You don't expect on the first date that you're going to get everybody's life story and you're going to be like old buddies. You know, the Brad thing took time and we are not, I don't know if you've noticed this slight trend, Adam, as a society, we're not as patient as we (laughs) used to be about things. And you mean losing your mind over a 10-second ad before a video starts on YouTube isn't normal? Yes, something, something like that. I'm not going to sit through this. Okay, just hit skip ad. Just wait a couple of <laughs> seconds. Now, I, the scariest thing to me is, so I was a hardcore gym guy. Went to the gym every day. And then the pandemic started, and I have not been to, you know, at the hotels. Yeah, but I haven't been back since. And I bought myself a little weight set a year and a half ago, and I do my stuff in my house. And I used YouTube videos, right, for the music that I would use. And what terrifies me is not just the ads that come on before the songs, but it's literally whatever you were searching for the night before yeah. on a different device. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you're in the, you know, if you're shopping for a new laptop, I'm like, how the heck, you know what? Let's yeah. just, let's just move ahead to the next cash video. And yeah, big brother's that. always there. Yep. yep. Frightening. Yep. You know what the real bad one was that I ran into the other day? I, uh, this, a, a total aside, and then we'll get back to email and, and talk about the Celtics team a little bit, but this one just, this one unreasonably blew my mind, Sean, was I was, uh, we were at my in-laws. This was, I don't know, a, a month or so ago, whatever it was. And, and I, I grabbed a, I ate a cookie out of their pantry and it was one, I don't even remember what kind of cookie it was at this point, but it was, it was not like chips ahoy. It was, you know, it, it was whatever I, I'd have to find it doesn't matter a cookie whatever brand name cookie what the hell they don't sponsor the show anyway whatever brand name cookie that that I ate I just I didn't I didn't talk about it I didn't say anything about it. it certainly didn't search on my phone like where can I buy these I simply grabbed a cookie out of the pantry and ate it end of story okay I just just grabbed the cookie and later that day I have an ad on my phone for that cookie for that brand cookie didn't make it i mean that's that's next level like are there it wasn't even at my house like where where where, you know it didn't make any sense to me i like people that don't want to give their credit card numbers online or whatever like everybody like putin has it (laughs) you got it already like don't don't kid yourself to think that there's any more uh, privacy is a thing anymore that really exists privacy privacy is a relic we went played a preseason game you'll probably remember it i think in, in chapel hill north carolina a few years ago and when we got off the plane, I'm on the bus and I got an ad for the hotel that we were going to. And our, you know, we stay, that's like high level privacy and security guys use different names or whatever. And yeah. yet my phone knew which hotel I was going to, even though that was not public information and I had never made the right. So it's frightening. Learn to learn to live with it. So your phone should probably tell you why, why, you know, he may hasn't gotten married yet. You know what? I'm pr- I'm probably going to get something on my phone later today about the weight set that you bought during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. But- I understand you asking questions <laughs> about the yeah. So, understand. My, my biggest fear is that when it suggests, my concern is that it suggests like now I'm like, oh, do I want to pick that video? Or I want the workout to that song next because then it's going to suggest other songs. Like I don't want it to think that I really like that music, right? So well, you got you tend to go, you know. Yeah, like, you're going to get those Kesha's greatest right? hits. You know, right. Like, why are you suggesting song video samples? Right. And then it sends you down a track because I like to um, I like to mix it up. Like if I'm listening to NWA once and then it's like Cardi B and then maybe there's a the it doesn't matter. But you want to be all over you the place. It, it doesn't let you be all larger over. than life comes on. You lose your mind. The, the minute you suggest one thing, the next 15 or oh, well, if you like that, like don't don't think you know me. 
<laughs> what I don't know is if anybody's still listening to the two of us ramble on. Yeah. Let's talk well, about the I'm sure everyone's had the same experience. That's <laughs> a good point. Let's hey, get it's 11 to games. Game. What do you want to talk about? Well, so this team, you know, left for dead earlier on. Everybody wanted to fire Ime. Those that, uh, you know, what have you done for me lately society that we do live in. They've now won three out of four. We're only 13% of the way through this season, but it feels like so much longer in so many ways with, with so much that has happened early in this year, good and bad. We're already talking about, you know, players only meetings turn team dinners and gatherings and, and, and smart, you know, calling out his all-star teammates for not passing enough and, you know, players publicly and, and executives publicly saying, yeah, maybe should have kept that in house. You know, all, all of this, there's been a, a ton that has gone on, but if, if we are to at least centralize something positive on the floor, we saw it obviously in the latest game last night. And, and that was, you know, a Toronto team that blown doors off Boston by 32 in the home opener. Now you got a game without Jalen Brown, who's out with this hamstring injury for a week or two. Celtics win that game. They've held their opponents three out of the last four to less than 90 points. To no surprise, they've won all three of those games uh, or three of those four games, in which case, in, in, at which point they've done that. They've now lifted their defensive rating for people that like to jump into the advanced metrics to 10th in the NBA. It is not revolutionary by any stretch to say and I've, I've been saying this for years under Brad and and the second they signed Ime and and made a lot of the roster moves they did in the offseason that if this team is going to have any real success not just you know flirt with a playoff spot or something real actual success defense first had to be its identity and and I would much rather see the Celtics team go out and and like 90s basketball win a game 95 to 90 than 125 to 115 like that that is the kind of basketball that interests me it's the kind of basketball that I think this team is going to be successful playing and now we're seeing a little bit of it here is this adjustments and getting comfortable with Emei's system is it buying into Emei is I mean what is it what do you attribute this change to even though they're obviously like Orlando's not a good opponent, but Miami is. So what do you attribute this to? Yeah, but we're talking about Golden State is winning the championship again. And look at Golden State schedule. You know, you don't want to pull too many threads on that. They're playing home games against Oklahoma City and Minnesota. And they're playing great. They're doing what they need to do. But you got to take all that into account as well. The same way before you get into the identity, the Celtics have found their identity. It, it doesn't take anybody who watches the NBA to look down and take one look down at the Celtics roster and go, that's defensive. They're, they have to win with defense because you have mm-hmm. a plus defensive players spotting the roster like all throughout the roster and offensively you don't have nearly as many so clearly this team is going to win games on their defense are we looking at the Celtics record and say well they're still under 500 at this point um let's talk about the road games let's talk about the fact that you could play that game in Washington 20 times and the Celtics are going to win it 19 times Montrez Harrell had a half court shot and that's the reason that game went to overtime I mean, that was a that was the fluke of all flukes. You've lost games on the road. You're four and three on the road. Your three road losses have been in double overtime hmm. at New York, the double overtime at Washington with Harrell hitting a half court shot and Luca, you know, jumping backwards and sideways out of bounds like he was doing a dare, right? Like I'm going to try this blindfolded, jumping backwards <laughs> over my head, you know, not old McDonald Larry Bird McDonald's commercial, yeah, nothing but net. You know, it happens. So the, the problem was the home games and specifically two, you know, two horrific quarters in those home games, which, again, when you're looking at numbers and defensive rating and stuff like that, you're still so early enough in the season that uh, basically three, two and a half bad quarters, the fourth quarter against Chicago and the last quarter and a half against Toronto in the home opener, that's still accounting for five, six, seven percent of the season. And the Celtics were like the worst team in NBA history during those quarters. So Here's the, I don't call it the dark, seamy underbelly of sample size, which is everybody waits to get to 10 games, right? Okay, it's 10 games. Let's jump into that. But as, you know, Brad learned this pretty quickly, sample size is a, is a myth because really when you get to 10 games, you're just talking about the way it's trending over the last couple. And what do the 10 games mean? Do the games last week in Florida, are you looking at those the same way you looked at the opening week? games when the Celtics were, you know, are you going to look at these games now the same way you're looking at a team that's been playing together for 20 or 25 games? Celtics did what they had to do. They upgraded the roster with veteran NBA players, with Richardson, with Schroeder. You can play that Jabari Parker offensive card when you need it, you know, when you fall behind. You've upgraded the roster that way that we talked about all last year, right, in terms of age. But it's still a brand new, brand new team. And guys fitting together. I think the real issue as the season goes on, people are going to realize this start for the Eastern Conference 
is not a fluke that there, there aren't like a bunch of 60 win teams in the East, but there are a lot of 45, 46, 47 win teams in the Mm -hmm. East and getting just to the play in is going to be no easy. I mean, Detroit, Orlando, and maybe depending on how you feel about Cleveland and whether that, I, I don't think there's any fluke to the Washington start. I think they're a deeper team than they've been. They've got veteran guys here. Dinwiddie's going to help them. Call, but like they're they're going to be around. The Cleveland thing, I'm not so sure because they're so reliant on young players and they got the Sexton injury. I'm not sure they can hang with the rest of these East teams. But Milwaukee's going to be better. Atlanta's going to be better. Philly is going to have their drama. But there, there's suddenly there's nine, ten, eleven, maybe twelve play in playoff caliber teams in the East, and that is going to be. The problem isn't the Celtics will eventually figure out defensively. They're not going to have games like they had at home against Toronto and Washington. The problem is you already had them and you lost home games at Toronto and Washington, which is going to hurt you in March and April when you're headed towards the home stretch. And and are you going to be sixth or are you going to be seventh? And that makes a big difference in the East. Let's take one quick break. Tell you about our uh, good friends at betonline.ag, the show powered in part, of course, by betonline.ag back and better than ever a new web interface to Continue on with basketball season, more props, odds, lines than ever before. Bet online remains your top spot for all the basketball and football action this season, other sports as well. And at the college ranks too, you can head on over to the new updated desktop or mobile website. Sign up today, receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code. It is CLNS 50 to receive that bonus. So from basketball, football, baseball, Back when we had that, of course, futures you can get in on right now. NHL, boxing, UFC, MMA, all of it right to your Vegas casino games. Do not wait. Take advantage of all the amazing offers available to you for the 2021 season. Bet online your fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Evan will have some picks for you online as well. Check them out on Twitter. Bet online where the game starts. All right, let's uh, let, let's keep going. You know, there's more to MMA than UFC. It's like That's like saying... Uh, SEC college football. You know, there's Big Group. 12, there's Big 10. I'm just, I'm just making the point for, for those of us that put a lot of time and effort into some of the other brands in MMA, you know, for you calling the, uh, just calling out the UFC is. You're right. I'm going to talk to the people who put the copy together. Love it. Let them know. I'm going to, we're going to create some odds. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the beauty of bet online. You imagine it, they will draw yeah. up numbers for you. You know, and it's interesting how it's trickled into, that was, you know, gambling was verboten, right? On the mm-hmm. broadcast side of the industry, you had the Al Michaels of the world who would throw in, the, throw in the, right, the occasional reference. I, the joke was, so I'm, this is a long time ago now. It's 20 years ago. I'm 28 years old and I'm doing college football on ABC and I'm the next big thing. And the joke was, the joke we used to tell in our group was Brent probably had bet more on my game than I was getting paid to do it. Uh, <laughs> At that point, but he, you know, yeah, Brent could come out and go, oh, they're a 12 point underdog here today at Notre Dame. And it was, you know, part of the thing. But for the rest of us peons, it was like, huh, we don't, you know, you don't want to make any reference. And now it's sort of changed to a more, it's like uh, there are things that are legal in the world that Mm -hmm. weren't legal 20 years ago. And it's more like, yeah, every, everybody does it and go crazy. And it's trickled into, you know, we don't really talk about it on the broadcast, but it's, trickled into the sponsorships, not just of conversations like you and I are having, but the actual games themselves. Maybe that should be, I mean, we don't need to reference all sorts of different companies, but I mean, there are league partnerships and everything that exists right now. Maybe that should be something on the call, part of the pregame show, you know, get get Max, you know, his, his favorite two over-unders or prop bets of the game. Yeah, I don't want to muck it up too much for Max. You, wanna, you don't want to complicate the math as well. Yeah. Well, you, uh, I don't want to bring an offensive rating. The the discussion when I realized you don't want to go too far down that road is the decision to hack, which is based. That is where you're really getting wonky with math because like, all right, he's a 61% free throw shooter, but they're getting 1.2 points per possession in the game. All right, that's not it's like a conversation I was having with my friend over text yesterday about uh, FTR free throw rating. Yep. And I said, and I, I just said, like, I don't pay any attention to this stuff. He's like, Dude, it's just like, it's just numbers. Like this isn't even advanced stuff anymore. This is, this is very basic math. He's like, I failed math in high school. I understand all of this. Like, I don't care, but, but I'm, I'm also the guy that still cares like what a guy's batting average is, which is about the most archaic stat in baseball in the minds of new age thinkers than that, that you can have. Like it used to mean something to hit 300 baseball. 
Nope. At batting average, good. home runs, RBIs. And again, my son has just turned 10. He's coming up in the era of OP. Like you just you start oh. almost by teaching him OPS. And yeah. And OPS plus. OPS plus, all the, you know. I love it. It's a play-by-play play play guy. I love him. I, give me everything. And then I'll decide. Then you have to sort of funnel it and say what matters when in the contact game. And I imagine baseball is, is the, you know, the one year I did baseball, it was probably not as bad eight years ago as it is now in terms of the proliferation of numbers. And the only number I care about major league baseball right now is three hours and 49 minutes. to play <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Game. Yeah. Shorten it up, add the pitch clock, all that's good. But we, we all have our amateur theories on how to improve the sport. Uh, and let me give you some bad numbers, some bad numbers here for Jason Tatum, who again, he was solid against Toronto in this last game. You know, good all-around game form in general. Again, raw numbers, like 22 points, dozen rebounds, seven assists. People are, are losing their minds at the seven assists. You know, they're, they're, they're going crazy. But nobody's talking about the eight of 24, Sean. Now, maybe you were on the broadcast, but, but to, you know, like social media, nobody's talking about the eight of 24. He is now shooting 39% from the field. He's shooting 33% from three point range. He's shooting 76% from the line. These are all career worst numbers. I know it's only 11 games. There's a long way to go. He's a notoriously slow starter, not this slow, but a notoriously slow starter. I'm more concerned about. And I know the guy's under contract. He's not going anywhere. I'm not worried about him asking for a trade tomorrow or something like that. But you start to look at a guy's body language sometimes. And he just, does he seem unhappy out there on the floor? Does he seem off to you in any way early on this year? Well, it's funny you'd ask because I thought last night I was really, and I don't want to say I'm a, I'm not a Jason Tatum critic. I just have found myself almost from the start holding him to an unfairly high standard because we all know what Jason Tatum is, what he can be, and that obviously he's going to be one of the elite players in this league. So I've always looked at him a certain way and, again, unfairly held him to a higher standard, including last year when, again, this is a separate issue about that we can talk about, about not traveling with the team. I don't think we took into consideration as much the COVID stuff that he was dealing with last year Mm -hmm. because we were not traveling with the team. It's very – it's a subtlety, but it's very significant in how – Max and I do our job and how the job, this job should be done. But I, I was very high praise of Tatum in the Wednesday night game uh, because he wasn't shooting well. And not only was he not getting frustrated, he was moving the ball, he was rebounding. And one thing, and I'm going to make a complete inference here. We wanted to talk to him after the game. I figure eight of 24, finally, Abby will take somebody else for the post game guest on TV. And there she goes again. It was, I literally couldn't believe it. I'm like, when are we going <laughs> to, like, when are we going to talk to Jason Tatum if not after an eight for 24 game? Um, it's just the way it works out. Like, come on. Flirted with a triple double though. Anyway. So he, uh, I'm going to make the inference that there was a conversation between him and the head coach about complaining to the officials because he was not doing it last night. He wasn't doing the wild because I don't want to see Jason Tatum is so good. He's going to be so iconic in new England that you're going to see kids out on the playground. They drive right around the playground. You're going to see kids when they drive to the basket, throwing up their hands when they don't get a, a foul call or whatever, because he was doing it just too much. And the officials noticed it and they're human beings too. So I loved how he held it together last night when he got hit a couple of times and just went back and played defense and made plays. And I, I just, I loved it. And he had to be that guy last night without Jalen. So I was all in on the game Tatum played last night. I don't – I think he's had a rough start shooting. You look at the shot selection, he's going to make those shots. Jason Tatum, for most of his rookie years, a 19-year-old, was leading the league in three-point shooting for a mm-hmm. lot of that year yep. until the end. I'm not – I'm unco- not only am I unconcerned about Jason Tatum shooting 39%, uh, to me it's a progression to the mean deal where you got a lot of 11 for 16s coming up. When, when the Celtics need him. That's my, is it going to be harder? It's going to be hard. Of course, he's the guy now. He's the number one offensive weapon on a team that might not be elite offensively. So tons of attention. That's what the focus has been with him is playing through double teams, especially with Jalen out. And I think guys are going to make more shots. I don't think the Celtics are going to have a team that lights things up offensively, but Marcus is not going to shoot 26% all year. Al Horford, I know what people think when I say that. It won't happen. Al Horford, by the way, who's been amazing. Al Horford is, what, 10 of 40 shooting three? I mean, Al Horford's had a bad start shooting threes. 
you know, Schroeder's been okay, but guys are going to shoot. They're going to shoot better um, as this as this goes on. A lot of us have have screamed about the the free throw thing, obviously with Jason Tatum, and and you know the coach has talked about it. He's talked about it. You know, one and two, obviously get to the line more. I mean, this is a guy that in, in a perfect world, we'd like to see averaging six, seven, eight free throws a game. And I don't know if Jason Tatum's ever going to be that guy. Hopefully he will. He's, he's very young. I'm not saying he can't be. It just, I'm not totally sure it's, it's in his game. It's in his, his demeanor, his mentality to, to be that guy that consistently goes inside, looks for contact. It's one thing to get contact, but looks for contact, tries to draw contact. And I was having this conversation earlier today with with a couple of people about how, you know, the the well, free throw numbers are are down across the league, obviously, because of, of the rule change. And and where I push back on that is, you know, that's something for Steph or for Dame or for like that's not Tatum because Tatum's game was never throw himself into a foul while shooting, you know, a three pointer or something like that. That's, that's something those other guys did and they have to adjust to that rule. Tatum was never that guy. Tatum is the guy that, that, you know, if, if he gets hit, he gets hit, but he's not looking for it. Not to say he's, I'm not saying he's afraid of contact or he's afraid of getting hurt or something like that. It's just, it's not something that has been a part of his game to this point. What is still a very young, obviously phenomenal start to his career. But do we see that evolution? Does it, as you're watching these games up close, as you're watching them night after night, it, does it bug you, you know, not seeing him getting to that point, just that specific element of his game a little bit more? Well, is he, is he settling is the question. Is he settling instead of driving? I haven't seen a lot of that. It's what, about a third of the shots he takes are threes. So how much is he going to get to the free throw line there? Uh, he's getting double teamed a lot. That's going to take drives away. It's going to be on other guys. It's going to be for him to find other guys, and and they're going to get fouled or not, you know, at the rim. Uh, everything's a situation. I would just say, of course, you want to see the number go up. I think him getting more respect from officials, I think that is an evolution in progress, as we talked about with the constantly showing up the officials and complaining about not calls. I think what's going to happen is if this trend continues where he stops complaining – I wouldn't be surprised if the numbers start to go up and get more calls when that happens. I know I'm not, I'm not supposed to say that, but that's how real life works uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the NBA. So I think that's all part of – if Jason Tatum were averaging two free throw attempts a game, I would say this is a real problem. But sitting near five or wherever he is right now, when you probably want him at six or seven, given the number of threes he's going to take. Um, yeah, sure, you want him to take ten free throws a game, but he's got Jalen Brown on this team. So now we're dealing with usage rate and who's got the ball and all this other stuff. So if J- Jalen Brown was not Jalen Brown was hurt and like missed the entire year and this was the team you had, then yeah, Jason Tatum's going to have to get to the free throw line more. But Jalen Brown's getting there. What I mean, he's going to get there three, four times a game too. So overall, as a team, Celtics over the last couple of years have been shattering their own franchise record for three point makes, three point yeah. attempts, all the other stuff. Well, what do you think suffers when you do that? getting to the free throw line. Not everybody's James mm-hmm. Harden. Now James Harden's not James Harden anymore because mm-hmm. of the new rules where every shot is a free throw or, or a three. In uh, Well, in talking about Tatum, because you mentioned obviously double teams and then passing out of them, we saw some instances of that last night where it, where it looked good. You know, passing out of a double team, finding Langford, for instance. You know, we're seeing a little bit more of that. How much have... Marcus Smart's comments impacted what we've seen these these last few games. Where obviously, like the team could be four and zero since the Smart comments, and I don't want to credit Smart for that, uh, but maybe there was some element of of a wake up call. Obviously, like Marcus, you know, he's he's I don't want to say he's he's dodged the follow up necessarily, but he hasn't gone out he of did, he did last him. night. Yeah, he he did last night. That was a deliberate. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to answer it. I'm just going to ignore your question. Yeah, <laughs> which is what he did. Yeah. I don't blame him because I think he felt burned. I didn't talk to Marcus about it again. Not traveling last week. Uh, I didn't talk to Marcus about it specifically because I really felt that he was, should it have been said in that environment? No, I'll go along with the crowd and say no, probably better than it wasn't. But it's funny. You got to watch everything's in, everything's in context. Context is king, right? Mm-hmm. You got asked the question. He answered it honestly. He wasn't calling out Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown saying, these guys have to go. He was analyzing basketball. And simply, yeah. honestly answering a question, he was saying, well, this is what he has wasn't to wrong, by the way. He wasn't, not only was he not wrong, he wasn't saying they're 
because that, that was the uh, talk shows do what the talk shows do. That's their job. Okay. Everybody, Jason Tatum's job is to get to the free throw line. That's his job, right? You have a job. I have a job. We all have a job. The talk show's job is to extract potential controversy out comments. You don't want it in context. If you're doing a talk show and you want to say, Marcus Smart called out Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, you don't want the context. You don't want to play the audio. You don't want to play it because that's not what actually happened. What he was saying was they will benefit from, you know, when they get better at moving the ball, if we all get better as a team at moving the ball, it's going to make it easier for them. Of course he wasn't wrong. And nor was he really calling them out. He was saying something that, and by the way, when Jason was asked about it and finally talked about it, he said the exact right thing, which is yeah, we already knew that they knew it. Mm-hmm. Did it have to be said? I mean, I get it. It was a team dinner. It was a team meeting after that. And everybody got together. Okay. You want to over-dramatize things? Do that. But in-house, it was something that probably could have been not said, uh, particularly the way the media is. And that was more of a honest answer to an honest question and a good answer, but it gave the potential to tear it apart and have clickbait headlines, which is the name of the game. And then people move on to the next thing. That has it been a, has it been a positive though, or you know, ultimately, or is it just easy to say that? I think that. this was. I think that what happened, what's happened this last week, was probably going to happen anyway. Um, I don't, I don't think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum went. What? Wait a minute. Maybe we should be passing more. <laughs> and whatever. It's not what yeah. happened. Uh, I think I don't want to say Marcus got burned. He's a big boy, and he knew what he was saying. But the way things work now, that became a thing when it wasn't a thing. And if I'm Celtics PR or I'm in house, I'm saying, Marcus, here's the problem. You gave an honest answer to an honest question, but that's not the perception. You know, perception is going to be what people go with. And again, I don't think anybody in that room cares anymore that Marcus said that and the games who come after that. That's a story. That's an external thing. Celtics playing much better since Marcus Smart called out to, all right. Okay. I get it. It was a thing that happened and uh, you kind of, Go to the, go to the next thing. Was it a big deal? No. Do I blame people for going crazy about it? That's the nature of it. More stuff like that will happen, uh, particularly with players talking. You know, I said we we had a conversation at the start. We're talking about Eme being very careful and guarded. That's why you're careful and guarded about what you say because one little snippet goes crazy. Uh, on let's. Uh... With Ime too, because I was going to get to this later, but you know, you brought him up. Let's talk a little bit more about Ime. The because it relates directly to Marcus Smart. So we all know at the, at the beginning of the year, even before the start of the season, obviously when Ime Odoka was talking about naming captains, it, it came down to four guys, and he said he was probably going to have two captains. It was Marcus Smart, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and everybody started to debate, you know, who should be the captains and all of that. And then, you know, things sort of spiral a little bit between smart missing that flight and obviously getting suspended a game, not exactly the the best show of, of leadership, even there in the preseason, like that's the inference. You know, I don't personally care, but that's the inference, obviously. And like you said, talk show fodder and all of that. Uh, Al is not necessarily, well, he's an unbelievable, uh, you know, leader by example. He's not necessarily the most vocal guy. You could talk about Brown and Tatum in, in certain ways as well. All, nobody would scoff at any two of those four being named captains. Brad Stevens didn't want a captain. I mean, it, he, he sort of had Rajon Rondo, you know, thrust upon him. And then after that, there was, there was, you know, nobody wearing captains. He doesn't believe in the guys wearing captains. He may came in. I want to have captains. I don't personally care whether, regardless of what people may think who listen to the show when I talk about it sometimes, I really don't care whether the Celtics have captains, don't have captains. I don't think, however, that the walk back is a real good look for Ime here very early on, obviously, as, as he and everyone else are trying to figure this whole thing out. What did you make of it? Man, I played devil's advocate with that statement you just made. Please. Politician, what what can a politician never do these days? You know what? Uh, be, be I thought honest. about that thing. I thought about that. And I, you know what? I was wrong. I see it the other way. Yeah. That is a sign of intellect. That is a sign of a working brain. You know what it is in the political world? You're a flip-flopper. <laughs> you change your mind, whatever. We're not going to vote for this guy. He's weak and he's a flip-flopper. Is it possible and you just meant, you said, well, you wouldn't have had any problem with any two of those guys being named captain. What about the other two that didn't get named captain? Sure. How would they feel about it? Is it possible? Is it possible? Ime Adoka surveyed the locker room and realized that he didn't have two obvious choices as captain. So maybe you're better off not having one 
And even though instinctively he prefers having a captain in this scenario, it didn't make sense given this particular room, this particular balance of veterans and young players, this particular balance of four guys who would be obvious choices for two captain slots. If that's what you want to go with, maybe he realized the pros of having a naming two captains weren't worth the cons of not naming the other two captains, or it just didn't fit with this particular group. And if that's the case, wouldn't that be a sign of a coach adjusting to the players he has and realizing that that was what was right for this team. Whereas you just brought it up as other people would as well, he backtracked and he walked it backwards. He wanted to do this thing and then he flip-flopped on it and he changed his mind. Well, I guess the real question was, was it the right, again, I'm not a big, whether having a captain makes a big difference or not, but is it possible? Is it within the realm of possibility implication? Yes. That you, there was no reason to specifically name a captain or captains for this particular team this year. And if that's the case, wasn't that the right decision? And instead of talking about whether or not it was the right decision, we're calling attention. To the, he flip-flopped in this issue. He won't have captains, then he changed his mind. That's a sign of weakness. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just not. Should he have not have brought it up in the first place? Was that an error in judgment they, at the time? I think it was a – I think he was – I don't remember specifically, and you can correct me. Did somebody ask him? I don't remember. I don't think he went out and said, I want to start my press conference today. Yeah, by I honestly don't saying, remember. Right. But I doubt – he came out and said, and you could look this up, but it exists, right? I don't think he came out and said, I want to start my press conference today by announcing that we are going to have captains on this team because it's very important and I believe in captains. My guess is he was probably asked about it and said, yeah, something we're going to look at. I bet you there are offensive plays, offensive sets that he was, was part of his coaching package that he wanted to install. And he saw the personnel on this team and maybe those particular sets aren't in there. Why? Because that team doesn't fit. It's, mm-hmm. it's a coach's job to coach the team he has, not to coach the way he wants to coach. Look at Rick Carlisle, who's been coaching the NBA forever. There are times Rick Carlisle, when Rick Carlisle came in this league, he was coaching Indiana, Detroit, defensive genius, the defense of Rick Carlisle, whatever. And two years ago in Dallas, he had the best offensive team in the history of the league. Why? Because that's the, he coached to the personnel he has. And the coaches mm-hmm. that make that last a long time in this league coach to the personnel they have. You can't, this isn't Little League. You're going to do things my way. This is the way we coach. Every player is different. Every team is different. And so I use that as an example. I'm sure it'll come up on other things besides the captain thing. But isn't that a perception reality difference that to me in this Twitter world and the talk radio world, I react to people saying, well, it's he flip-flopped in this issue. He was He walked it backwards. So what? So what, what, I mean, you can't, God forbid anybody say, and this is, he didn't do this with the captain thing, but God forbid anybody ever say, you know what? I was wrong. And I've changed my mind. We've had this conversation before because people have asked me for 20 years, why you do all this play by play and you, you, you're always great on podcasts and all this other stuff. How come you never hosted a talk show? And that's the reason why, because I would have the tendency I mean, as my wife will tell you, I haven't yet been wrong about anything. But one day, if I ever am, <laughs> if I ever am wrong about anything, I would be the type of person to say, you know what? I thought about that. And that's a really good point. And it made me look at something differently. And now I see it a little bit differently than I did before. You know, you can't do that in the talk show world. You can't do that in the God knows you can't do that in the political world. And how many people, how many anti-vaxxers are sticking to their guns because they don't want to be that's a sign of weakness that they were convinced mm-hmm. otherwise that maybe getting the vaccine was healthy for you and your family. And maybe it was the best thing. God forbid you say that, right? God mm-hmm. forbid we evolve. And we used to, you know, hundreds of years ago, you went to the doctor and they would, it would be like a bloodletting. They would take blood from you. You know, you would just like bleed a pint of blood and that would make you better. You know what? We learn things change. We evolve. And if you don't have an open mind towards anything, it's a longer form discussion than naming captains, but it's getting to the point of you're allowed to think differently one day than you did the day before. And spoiler alert, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of intellect and strength. Well, Sean, speaking of evolution, I'm going to, I'm going to audible here. I'm going to talk about cannabis for just a second, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensaries. That is INSA, I-N-S-A. They are the premier 
uh, cause for the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model. Those two guys did and did a great job in doing so from what they sell to how they sell it, while never forgetting that it is for everyone. Insta dispensaries, they are inviting. They are modern. Evan has been by. He's checked it all out. You can go on in if you want to learn more. Certainly, we encourage that you do. The staff, they are authorities on the science, answer every question you could possibly have from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offerings for insomnia or anxiety or just recreation, hanging out with friends, whatever it may be. Insta's world-class head chef, too, only hires the most respected growers uh, who perfected their craft when it nece- wasn't necessarily so uh, legit, you might say. Uh, one last thing, the Insta founders, they're not just VCs from Silicon Valley. They are lifelong pals from Springfield, so uh, another local team to root for as well. Insa, that is I-N-S-A in Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, two Springfield locations, including just off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mentioned that we said to stop by for a sweet T-shirt like this one, maybe. If you're watching on the video, you get this shirt right here, a T-shirt for a penny. That is insa.com, I-N-S-A.com, or 877-500-INSA. Speaking of rules changes, right? Yes. Rules change. Just now? Well, look at what, look at what you just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about gambling. We're talking about, uh, yeah, legal, uh, legal exactly cannabis. Right. Very true. Uh, speaking of changes, uh, one thing that's not going to change, I don't think, Sean, is, uh, Ben Simmons area code to, uh, to 617. I, I don't think he's, he's going to be uh, moving on over to Boston. There were the reports, obviously, of Ben Simmons, Jalen Brown swap, which you can bet every dollar you have originated out of Philadelphia, not Boston. Brad Stevens, in fact, was asked about it uh, on the radio, said flat out that it was made up. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't expect him to say any differently, but he said he reassured Jalen Brown that, yeah, like you're going to, you're a popular player. You're going to hear your name in these things, but uh, no, that was not a thing. I, I just think it's such a, a laughable report proposition in the first place that that Boston would ever consider dealing Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons. And that's not even me saying, oh, Ben Simmons, this crappy basketball player, he would be a lousy fit in Boston. I'm not even saying that. I'm simply saying you're not going to deal Jalen Brown for him. Now you want to talk about other, uh, you know, commodities and, and trying to make the money work. And, and, and maybe that's a different conversation, but I, I I'll be curious to see how, long Daryl Morey kind of drags this thing out in the first place and 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 if and when Ben Simmons ultimately finds a new home and where it is I just don't see it being Boston D- did you personally when you saw this come across was this just another thing on social media that nobody has to have any accountability for or did you put any merit behind it no there was no there's no merit behind Jalen Brown being involved that's not gonna happen but why wouldn't you listen it's Brad Stevens job to kick the tires on everything and as I've said for 20 years if somebody calls you and says, would you trade me Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and I'll give you Ben Simmons, and you say no, guess what? You've discussed it. <laughs> yeah. You've discussed it. So I don't put merit into that. Uh, and I was surprised. It's funny talking to Max last night. Max is a little more, not necessarily the Jalen Brown piece, although I don't think that was a deal breaker for Max. Max is as far on the other side of this argument, really, as you can be. Like, he's really intrigued by it. The wild card here is, of course, Eme, right, who was with Ben two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am on a surface standpoint because you're not – listen, we're barely around our own team now, let alone the other teams. You really don't get a feel. Until you're around players, you don't know a player when he's on another team. But from a surface optics standpoint, I am deeply concerned by what's happening now. Not the – you know, the stuff that was happening on the floor, obviously, last year, and I'm not wanting to shoot all those things, but the – I'm not going to get – talk to your health professional and all these games that are going on, you know, with the agent about just trying to get paid and all the other stuff, all the, all these things are really concerned me about Ben Simmons. We know what he can do uh, basketball wise, but I was surprised that, you know, Max sort of drooling over the talent, which everybody thinks Kyrie, everybody thinks that when a player who's had issues comes to their team, the issues go away. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't work that way. So uh, I'm certainly not in favor of breaking up the Jalen Jason thing. I do believe that a third guy has to join them, a third elite player. Al Horford's playing like one right now. Maybe, you know, Al Horford five years ago, the guy we're seeing right now, maybe would have been that third guy, whether he can do this over 82 games into the playoffs, who knows, 
you know, at this, at this age and that mileage. But although it's funny because Al obviously got a pre-paid vacation from the Thunder last year and it's really yep. painful for the Celtics. It was another year he didn't play. He traveled to the fountain of youth. When he came back well, to play against the Celtics, I think in 2012, he had missed most of that year and he just came back in the playoffs. So he doesn't have the full 14 years of, you know, a number of games on his body, but all that aside, uh, I, I, is Ben Simmons an interesting player? Of course, he's a highly talented player. I'm I'm not of the belief that Bradley Beal is that third guy. I don't think that fits. I I mean I I think it's got to be a big, but and Ben Simmons is an interesting. He's almost a big, <laughs> the way he is and the way he plays and the way he rebounds and whatever. It's an interesting look, especially when you get Toronto. Toronto had Siakam playing center last night. They just have loaded up on these six seven athletic guys, and that's the way they play. And they're a tough, freaking out. I mean, that's Eastern Conference is going to be a lot of nights like that. These games are going to be tough to win. There's going to be very few nights like Orlando, whatever, that uh, it's, it's going to be tough to win games in the NBA. You're going to see a lot of 18-point leads get away. Um, I thought I was so smart saying, well, home court advantage is going to come roaring back this year because the fans are back, and it's been the opposite of that, particularly in you know places like Boston or other places that teams Toronto. Toronto, of all the places in all the world, you thought would get the big boost finally going home from Tampa, and Toronto hasn't played well at home. So that turned out to be nonsense. I just, every year when you start fresh, you have to, it's good to have experience. It's good to have knowledge of the way things used to be, but don't get too locked in because there's always a constant evolution and the game is always a little bit different than it was the year before. You've mentioned it throughout here a few times, just the sort of, I don't know, wonky year plus, obviously, that it's been for you, been for everyone here in the pandemic, but everyone's careers are a little bit different. For some, it's perfectly fine to work from home. I can work from home for the most part, unless I got to go into the studio to do, you know, a couple random things here or there just to have it look nicer on camera. But, you know, for you as a play-by-play voice, and we, we spent some time talking to Mike Gorman about this as well when he was last on, it, it's, I mean calling a game off a television versus just being able to see everything that maybe the camera is not picking up. It's a, a drastically, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, to, to use a a bad cliche, you know, you're, you're doing the game with, with a hand tied behind your back. You know, it's, it's a, a totally different approach. I imagine you're obviously the one out there doing it, but now as we talked off air, uh, a little bit, you're, you know, kind of in this hybrid capacity, sometimes you travel, sometimes you don't. I mean, what has all this been like for you? Well, professionally, it's horrendous. And I always say that, particularly when we were deep in the heart of the pandemic at the start, uh, when people ask me, well, it's terrible. And you say, yeah, it's absolutely terrible. It's a brutal way to do games. It can't be done. And you have to put the asterisk in, but there are actually, there's a pandemic going on. And the problems of play-by-play announcers do not matter at all in the grand scheme of life. It's just the way everybody's had to adjust. You know, that said, now that we're at the point where a lot of entities have choices to make. I think there are people behind desks who, whose job it is to count beans and to look at dollars and cents who are eyes are lighting up at the potential of saving money. And there are, quite frankly, there are announcers in the league that got used to being at home and realized that there's not as much, you know, as bad as the product is, it's not as hard on your family. It's not as there's, there are pros from that standpoint to not traveling. And so there is, I don't say momentum, but there's impetus on one side to kind of hang with this as long as possible. But it's a, it's a brutal way to do games. When we started in the bubble and the playoffs in 2020, Max and I were in the Celtics locker room. We had, everything was coming directly from Orlando. We had six or seven different feeds. We had scoreboards. We had everything. Now, and that dropped off last year when we started doing the games remotely at our at the flagship radio station. Said the Garden wasn't available anymore because the Bruins started playing again, so we couldn't do games at the Garden. So that was a downgrade, and we didn't have nearly as many feeds. But last year, the league was making a bigger effort to make sure teams had feeds that they could do games off of. I'll tell you, funny, remind me to tell you, ask me about uh, a game against the Nets last year and the okay. adventure we have with that. That. That was a downgrade. Now this year, the mechanism is not really in place to do games remotely, uh, particularly from our standpoint. So we're getting, you know, you might get a feed. We've been trying to do some games this year where we weren't traveling, where the feed is coming in, the audio and the video don't match. Anyway, the mechanism is no longer in place. The message is we're back to normal. Go do what you used to do, which is 
to, I understand for some people it's difficult. There's a great irony. I'm sure this is happening in a lot of lines of work where we're being told everything's back to the way it used to be. Go back to doing what you used to do. And we're being told that by somebody sitting on their couch on a zoom. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Cause it's not, it's not quite that simple to be back. You know, I've done NBA road games. Now I've been traveling for MMA. I've been traveling overseas to do some MMA shows and it's not what it was. It's, it's, there's a lot more, there's a lot more testing involved and there's vaccination rules and there's the scariest part of doing these shows overseas isn't the fear of testing pot. Like you have to test before you can travel and you obviously have to be fully vaccinated and all that stuff. The nightmare scenario, as you can imagine, is testing positive while you are there. Yeah. Then you can't come back and you're talking about being stuck in London or Dublin where I was, or they, at one point they'd asked me to go to Moscow, which didn't happen, but you could be stuck there and not able to come home if you test positive while you were there. So that, that's the one where you're really like, you know, <laughs> fingers crossed on the testing and all the, and all the other stuff. You cannot do the job I have cannot be done properly. If you're not around the team and you're not traveling with the team, I understand the momentum towards it that it can save a little bit of money. It's not on our side. <laughs> we don't, there isn't as much expense that goes into the radio side as the TV side. You can save some money by not traveling, but you're not, you're not doing the job if you're not traveling. Last year was Max and I've been doing this for 20 years. We have access that a lot of people don't have where I was able to, you know, I'm able to text people right before a game. If I need something answered or whatever, we had a situation in the league with a veteran announcer last year who did the entire season, never met the new head coach. Never met him. You can't do the job this way. And I'll give you the perfect example. This is the number one example that I use. There's a million of them about the conversation. This job isn't, it's about a conversation you have with a player on the bus. It's about a conversation you have in a hotel, waiting for an elevator, waiting for the luggage. Wait, it's, the, it's a season long thing. It's not as dramatic as baseball where you're doing that literally every day for hours, but that, there is a, a thing about being around the team. There was a game last year in Washington. Maybe we talked about this and maybe we didn't. Jason Tatum had a rough game. It was the bad, it was the Valentine's Day massacre. They'd come back from the West Coast. They had to go play an early game in Washington on a Sunday afternoon and just got smoked. At the time, the Wizards were like 2-20. and 20. Uh, They had had the bad start. So it really looked worse than it was. Jason Tatum had a bad game, arguably one of the worst games he's had in the NBA. And – I said something pretty much along the lines of this is the worst game Jason Tatum's ever had in the NBA. And it was just calling what you see. Yeah. And I, I went home that night. And I'm like, man, was I too hard on him? They were like, no, he was terrible. It was, uh, you did it. You, you just did what you always do. You called the game. Right. It wasn't a personal thing with Jason's. It's like, you know, guy doesn't play. Guy drops a pass. You say he drops a pass. You're not worried about his older sister going on social media and saying, how could you say my brother dropped the pass? Cause he dropped the pass. He'd yeah. be the first one to tell you that. That's a separate issue about play-by-play. But so <laughs> I thought after the fact was like, you know, to, no, you called right what you knew. Would I have presented the game that way? Would I have presented the same context of Jason Tatum's struggles that day? If we had been traveling with Jason and I had seen him with an inhaler because he's a long hauler coming off of COVID, mm-hmm. or is that not in your brain at all? Because you're not around, there are, it doesn't mean you're making excuses. It means you're not getting the whole picture, not around the team. You're not telling the story of the team, which is what a team play-by-play announcer's job is to do, is to tell the story of a season. And sitting at home or sitting in a studio calling a game off TV, this does not, does not work. And that not includes the technical things that can go wrong, um, you know, the <laughs> – losing feeds and whatever the Nets game last year that I talked about. Yeah. So what happened with that? We were getting a feed from NBC Boston for our games. Uh, It was a nationally televised game. Uh, It was TNT game in Brooklyn. And whoever was sending us the feed, everyone denies that it doesn't matter why it happened. But what happened was somebody switched the feed we were getting from the game camera to the, there's a camera that you see when you're watching a telecast, you Mm -hmm. watch the game. And then when you go to a replay, You'll suddenly see like a real close-up of that drive by like Jason Tatum. You're like, well, where did that? You're not thinking, where did that come from? It's a different camera that is shooting the game differently while it's going on. And in the in the truck, they'll want to see the replay of the close-up camera. Well, somebody somewhere hit a button 
And the feed we were getting suddenly was the close-up camera. So suddenly, <laughs> when the beard was bringing the ball up the floor, all you could see was his beard. So you can't see the game when you're just yeah. a foot away from a player. You can't see the floor. You can't see anything. That happened. We've had several instances, as I said now, where the audio and video are coming differently. So we're hearing a whistle, and the play is going on, and I'm like, well, the guy's going to get fouled, but he doesn't get fouled. It's a turnover, and then the foul comes the other way. You hear the ball go through the net to the point where I, you know, you know me, I can't help myself of being a smartass. So, you know, the ball swung to Tatum. I've already heard the net. I'm like, oh, I feel good about this shot. You know, Tatum for three, <laughs> swish. And then the times, obviously, that we lose the audio, and I start calling it like golf. Because there's no, you know, like Tatum, 17 feet. Got it. Because there's no, all you can do is bring, if you guys take the time to listen to us, it isn't the old days. We can just turn the sound down. You got to do work, right? To make it match. You got to pause the game on DVR. Mm-hmm. We appreciate everything that people do to listen to us. You've heard this drill for years and years that for years, people have had to, they feel like they have to apologize to me for listening. I, I, there's always a story. I got stuck in the car, so I had to listen to you. My cable went out, so I had to listen to you. God, we do this every day. Yeah. We're here every day. Like, you don't have to make an excuse as to why you listen. But we're, if you take the time to be a part of what Max and I do, we're going to let you in on all the stuff and we're going to call it like golf and we're going to acknowledge these things that are going wrong. And it's very, anyone that knows me knows I have a little, I've tried to get better as I get older, but I have a tendency towards perfectionism and doing it at a certain level. So it's annoying to me when, you can't do the job right because, listen, it's bad enough doing the games at the Garden, obviously, as we've discussed for years. If there's anyone who's well-trained about calling games off TV, it's me because of the broadcast location at the Garden. But you can't you can't do the job properly. All that said, I'm happy for Mike and Scal if this is what they want. I don't, I don't like it as a viewer. And I got to watch a telecast uh, coming back from Ireland last week. Uh, watch that Dallas game and I just I could feel the I don't want to say frustration but you just can't it's not it's not this job maybe this is the way of the future and there'll be no more announcers ever traveling ever and that's fine but then it's not play by play it's something else and the jobs change people change maybe I'm just I'm getting too old now I got a milestone birthday coming up next month it's like you know what maybe it's all passed me by and this is the way it's all ball bearings these days Right. It's all this is the way we do it now. You sit and sit on your couch and try to call the game that way. I'm like, OK, that's if that's play by play in the 20s and 30s of our of this century. OK, but it's not what it always has been. and It's not what it should be. Certainly. Well, I couldn't agree more. We'll uh, we'll, we'll wrap it there in the interest of your time and, and that of uh, everyone you know, who, who just, you know, they, they were in the car and the radio didn't work. So they were forced to listen to us on a podcast. We appreciate everyone being here with us. Wish you an early, uh, you know, happy 43rd birthday. I know it's yeah, a, right. I'll take it. Big, big, big milestone on the way. Uh, yeah, obviously, I, I came into the league when I was 16. <laughs> so that's right. So Mar- Marv said that to me once uh, when Marv came a couple of years ago uh, to do a game. And obviously it was his last year. And I found, uh, I don't know through basketball reference or whatever. I found, I knew the story of him coming with his brother when he was 21, 22 years old. He filled in for Marty Glickman. He came to Boston to do a game. And that was his first major league game. Do it. It was a Knicks Celtics game in 19. I don't even know what year it was. It was in the sixties, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I found the box score from it and I, I printed it and gave it to him. And he was oh, you know, like, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Right. And he sort of appreciated it. And then, you know, he was looking at the day. He's like, yeah, I was uh, I was a 13 year old announcer when I first came in the league. Obviously, <laughs> um, but yeah, time time goes on. So it's, it's noticeable that Marv isn't, you know. But that's again, that's the way of it. We all our time will all come. You got decades before you got to worry about that, my friend. Well, I got a lot. If I if I don't have to travel, if I can just sit on my couch and do it. I'll be being the old folks home, right? At like won't 95 be, years old, Max would be. Won't like, even need to buy any suits anymore. It'll be great. Oh my gosh. Just sit there in your pajamas and the old folks home calling them. Yeah. There's the game's over. You just flip on post game and hang out or, or, you know, put, put on your shows, <laughs> whatever it may be. Deuce Tatum Jr. Is uh, 40 for the Celtics tonight. I love it. Yeah. Uh, him and, uh, well, I guess Bronny would be out of the league by that point. Yeah. Yeah. He will. <laughs> 
Thanks to Bet Online, to Insta, to everybody out there for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We always tell you way too late into the show. We'll come at you again next week. Celtics have a test against the so far underachieving defending champion Bucks. That is as we talk right now. Tomorrow night, Friday, and then of course schedule continues to get busy, but uh, plenty of time to talk about that and and uh, you know go back and relive some of what we just got into. Uh, always a pleasure having Sean Grandy on it. It honestly feels like you were on very recently. I looked back; it was August the last time that that I bugged you to come on. So appreciate uh, you hopping on with us again. We'll do it hopefully even sooner this time. You got it, man. All right, Celtics beat. You guys know that. We'll see you later. <laughs>